our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Greetings to those who watch below. A couple of weeks ago, I listened to a podcast that talked about Sam the Sandown Clown. Now, this was something that I've never heard about before, and upon reading the case, I knew I just had to share it with you all. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B., Jess Black Curtain, Christina Groves, LT Punisher 666, Chris, BLK Chris, Kenopsia, and our newest member, Tegan Ass, for being those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership that gets you shoutouts at the start of every video. Also, don't forget, all this month I'll be posting Halloween-themed creepypastas on the creepypasta.com official YouTube channel. Also, starting next week, all the new stories on the site will be Halloween-themed as well, so make sure to check it out. Also, if you haven't subscribed to either this channel or to Creepypasta, make sure that you do, hitting that notification bell so that you never miss a video. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. The story of Sam the Sandown Clown takes place on the outskirts of Sandown, a seaside town on the southern end of the Isle of Wight in Great Britain. The town has a rich history stretching back to the Roman period, where the area was used for salt production, and up until the 19th century, Sandown was exclusively used as a military training site, since the beaches offered easy access to invading French troops. With the arrival of the train in the 1800s, Sandown grew into a beach resort town. Sandown grew into the beach resort town it would become known as into the 20th and 21st centuries. Today, Sandown is a traditional British seaside town, featuring a long stretch of sandy beach, a high street filled with restaurants and shops, various attractions, including a wildlife sanctuary and a dinosaur museum, and a quintessential Victorian pier, with a large arcade and beautiful views of the cliffs and sea. Sandown is everything you would expect from a seaside town. It's busy in the summer, quiet in the winter. Plenty of tourists come and go, often returning for the beautiful beaches and stunning views. It certainly isn't the type of place one would expect to run into an alien robot clown thing. The witnesses of the following event were two children. The girl is referred to as Faye, age seven, and a boy of similar age who was not given a name. They were vacationing with their families near Lake Common in Sandown. It was a Tuesday afternoon around four o'clock in May of 1973, when Faye and the boy heard a weird wailing sound, similar to that of an ambulance siren. Curious, they followed the noise across the golf course and toward a swampy area outside of the Sandown airport until the noise suddenly stopped. The children ventured onward in an attempt to find the source of the strange sound. They eventually came across a wooden footbridge 
where they had their first encounter with Sam. A blue-gloved hand appeared from under the bridge and a strange figure emerged. The figure fumbled with a book, dropped it in the water, then splashed about to retrieve it. The two then watched the figure enter a metallic hut, similar to those used on building sites, except that it had no windows. It moved along with a strange hopping motion, with knees raised high. At this point, I would probably have run away, but Faye and the boy stuck around the area, and only wandered about 50 yards away from the bridge when the figure appeared once again. This time, he was carrying a black-knobbed microphone with a white flex cord attached. Immediately, the wailing sound returned, and the boy did the reasonable thing and started to run away. But the figure, perhaps realising he'd frightened the boy, ceased the screeching sound and spoke into the microphone. Faye, who at this point followed her friend a decent distance away, claimed they could hear the figure, talking as if he was standing directly beside them. They heard his voice ask, as if directly in their ears, Hello, are you still there? Continuing to run away would have been the correct response, but Faye and the boy decided the voice sounded friendly and approached the figure so they could converse properly. The closer they walked to the figure, the more confusing his appearance became. He was nearly seven feet tall and had no neck, for his head appeared to be wedged straight onto his shoulders. He wore a yellow pointed hat, which interlocked with the red collar of a green tunic. A round black knob was affixed to the top of his hat, and wooden antennae were attached to either side. The face had triangular markings for eyes, a brown square of a nose, and motionless yellow lips. Other round markings were on his paper-white cheeks, and a fringe of red hair fell onto his forehead. Wooden slats protruded from his sleeves, and from below his white trousers. Faye and the nameless boy's conversation with the figure was odd. As they approached with hesitation, the figure pulled out a notebook and wrote in large letters, Hello, and I am all colours Sam. Faye read the confusing message out loud, and the two children continued to move closer. They realised then, after Sam initiated verbal conversation, that his lips did not move when he spoke, which made his voice difficult to understand. Sam asked the children questions, and they asked questions in return. They asked about his ripped clothes, and Sam replied that they were the only clothes he owned. On the natural whiteness of his skin, the children asked if Sam was really a man, to which he replied no. They inquired further if he was a ghost, and Sam replied, Well, not really, but I am in an odd sort of way. The children asked, What are you then? And Sam replied with a vague, You know, without elaborating further. Apparently Sam also stated that he had no name, despite introducing himself as Sam, and drew a sketch of what another, like him, looked like, implying that there were other Sams around. Sam confided in them that humans frightened him, and that he was afraid of being attacked, but if he was, he said he would not fight back. Continuing the theme of a missing persons case, Faye and the other child accepted Sam's invitation to enter his windowless metal hut, accessed by crawling through a small flap. Upon entering, Sam removed his hat to reveal round white ears and sparse brown hair. 
the children describe the interior of the shack as containing two levels, the ground floor being wallpapered in blue-green and covered with a pattern of dials, an electric heater and wooden furniture they described as simple. The first floor had less headroom than the ground floor, with metallic flooring. Sam hinted that he also had a camp on the mainland, but didn't say where. When discussing his diet, Sam said he ate berries that he collected during the late afternoon. The location of his scavenging wasn't disclosed. He also said that after cleaning, the water from the nearby river was safe to drink. Sam then demonstrated how he ate berries, which was weird, to say the least. Before eating a berry, he performed an odd conjuring trick. He placed the berry in his ear, thrust his head forward, and caused the berry to disappear and reappear at one of his odd eyes. Repeating the process, the berry travelled to his mouth. After another half an hour of conversation, Faye and the boy bid Sam farewell and retreated back across the golf course. They told the first man they saw that they had seen a ghost, but he didn't believe them. According to Bufora, who investigated the case, also known as the British UFO Research Association, the children were truly convinced they had encountered either a ghost or someone dressed up in a particularly weird costume. Either way, they were very much under the impression that their experience was genuine. On June 2nd, 1973, three weeks after their conversation with Sam, Faye confided in her father, referred to as Mr. Y, about the encounter. He commented on the detailed description of his daughter's experience, which he was able to briefly verify with the boy, and how upset she was when he suggested that it wasn't entirely truthful. Mr. Y thought an explanation of Sam could be make-believe, or a shared hallucination, also known as a folie a deux, or a person dressed up to scare children. However, he felt a very particular detail Faye gave about Sam, having three fingers and toes on each hand and foot, was decidedly too difficult for someone to convincingly fake. There was also the important detail that Mr. Y had had his own bizarre experience that made him take his daughter's tale more seriously. Three years earlier, on the 20th of October 1970, Mr. Y was driving towards St. Helens on the Isle of Wight, on his way from Shanklin to Ride to visit a friend. To his right, Mr. Y suddenly saw a large multi-lit aircraft flying over the marshlands along the River Yar. He pulled over to observe the craft and noted that a wide ring of seven or more lights could be seen, each of them a large and clearly defined sphere, like a bright red cherry, and interspersed with a turquoise and a white light. No sound could be heard. Mr. Y resumed driving, and the object continued to fly parallel to him, eventually flying around 300 yards behind his car while rotating slowly. After stopping his car again, Mr. Y got out and started to signal at the aircraft with his torch. The aircraft continued to follow him, and when he reached his destination, his friend also witnessed the object playing hide-and-seek between the treetops. Upon leaving his friend's house, the aircraft was gone. Following the incident, Mr. Y would occasionally see single balls of red light in the sky, which would hang stationary or follow him along as though checking his movement. Two years later, on the 1st of March 1972, between 9 and 10pm, Mr. Y was sitting on a cliffside at Compton Bay, having been driven there 
by an unexpected tidal surge, seemingly caused, in a part at least, by some form of droning underwater craft. From his location at the cliffside, Mr. Y spotted two yellow lights, approximately 40 feet away, peering up at me like the eyes of some horrible sea monster, not far below the surface of the water. After observing the phenomena, the tide eventually went back out, freeing Mr. Y, who was able to get back to his car and drive home. So when Faye had her own strange encounter a year later with Sam, he sympathised with his daughter's distress, and considered how it could relate to his own experience. He also had his doubts that his daughter was lying. He said, I get the impression that Faye was somehow taken into a bubble of an alien reality created by this strange person. He told them he had just made the hut. Also, Faye told me that while they were talking to this ghost, two workmen nearby were repairing a post. They paid no attention to the weird encounter, as though they could not see it. When Mr. Y visited the location of Sam's homestead, the metal hut was nowhere to be found, likely confirming Mr. Y's own suspicion that his daughter was taken into a bubble of alien reality. Was there any connection between Sam and the UFO sightings made by Mr. Y? He seems to suggest that there might have been. The story of Sam is obviously a strange one. We don't know what happened entirely. In fact, we don't even know what Sam was. He could have been numerous things. He's been suggested that it could be something like a prank, somebody dressed up in a costume to terrify children. Although trying to lure them back into a metal hut does add an extra creepy factor to it. Also, a shared hallucination or folie de could be a rational explanation. Another explanation is that Sam was indeed a ghost. He stated as much that he was, kind of. He said he was a ghost, but not in that way. But also, in an odd sort of way, he was. Also, he could have been an alien, linking in with Mr. Y's UFO encounters. Or, due to his weird mechanical nature, Sam could have been a robot. Specifically, a robot sent by an alien craft, down to gather information upon the humans that he apparently feared. What do you think? Hi guys, I really hope you enjoyed today's story. I think this encounter is fascinating, and also due to my fear of clowns, slightly terrifying to me as well. I don't think I would have gone up and spoken to Sam if I were those children, but maybe their childlike innocence didn't let them see something terrifying. They saw Sam, the Sandown Clown. If you like this video, make sure to leave a like and also subscribe to the channel, making sure you hit that notification bell so that you never miss a video. So, until next time, sleep tight. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>